Okay, last chapter, last little bit of the study guide for uh, my exam coming up in, in uh, group fitness. So environmental safety conditions talks about recommended facility temperature, the altitude and air quality. So obviously this can be uh, something you gotta consider indoors as well as outdoors. So if you're doing classes outside, which is a lot now that uh, we've been dealing with COVID, um, and now we're back into facilities a little more regularly, just making sure the air, uh, you know, the quality is good. Exercise shouldn't take place in environments where the air quality index is higher than 150. Um, so obviously if there's a air quality um, alert outside or a heat index alert outside, you wanna be careful of that altitude. So anything um, doing activity at, at a high altitude has less oxygen. Uh, so you got to be careful that way. Um, recommended facility temperature is between 68 and 72 Fahrenheit because this is a U.S. exam. That's what I need to remember. And it talks about considerations for group fitness classes in cold weather and in hot weather. So obviously more outdoors. In cold weather, you have to be careful of hypothermia. In hot weather, you have to be careful of heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Big differences between heat exhaustion and heat stroke. Um, is that heat stroke is very is very serious. You can have sudden collapse and go unconscious. There could be death because you go into shock. Um, your core body temperature um, goes really high. It says 107 degrees Fahrenheit. Should remember that number, I guess. Um, heat exhaustion. Okay, so you're sweating. You're getting pale skin, dizziness, hypervent hyperventilation, rapid pulse, but um, definitely not as bad as obviously as heat stroke, but it can result in heat stroke if not um, dealt with. And then in the cold weather, hypothermia, um, you just need to consider things like wind chill and adequately cover your skin, dress in multiple thin layers if you're gonna do outdoors and it's colder weather. Just gotta watch for um, signs of hypothermia, which is shivering, pale skin, and bluing of the lips, hands, and feet. If it's hot weather, you just gotta watch that your core temperature um, is not over 102 degrees because that's heat exhaustion over 104 degrees again Fahrenheit that's heat stroke so clearly you want to be under that um, you want to take into consideration I mentioned this humidity so if there's a humidex warning uh, you got to be careful of that uh, the water and the sweat doesn't evaporate and it lowers your ability to remove heat from the body um, they also talk about two different terms and I'm gonna make sure I make a note of which is hyponatremia and hypokalemia so hyponatremia is loss of sodium which results in fluid retention. Hypokalemia is loss of potassium, which results in fatigue, weakness, constipation, muscle cramping. So make note of those two. Uh, In-class safety concerns for group fitness, um, you just gotta watch people for overexertion, dehydration, fatigue, and uh, if the weather or the temperature makes exercise dangerous, whether it's indoors or outdoors, you need to move the class to a more climate controlled space. You need to minimize your time in the extreme uh, area or weather, alter the exercise session if weather related stress is observed. So cut it in half, shorten it, do it in the morning versus the afternoon when it's the hottest, etc. Have appropriate emergency equipment on hand. So obvious first aid kits and all of that good stuff. Um, yeah, there's a chart about the safety concerns in the, inside a class. So um, 
they talk about overexertion. They give you some examples of what you could see your participants going through, rapid breathing, losing color in the face, lack of sweating, um, fever, nausea, confusion. If they're dehydrated, you you know, you might feel like they may say to you like they're really thirsty. Um, they might feel like passing out. Um, fatigue, if they're showing fatigue, uh, it could manifest itself in shortness of breath, chest pain, irregular or rapid heartbeat, dizziness or feeling lightheaded, could have um, pain in the abdominal area, pelvis or back, like just cramping. So there's that to uh, consider. So for yourself as an instructor and a participant. Um, definitely having a, an emergency response activation plan, uh, whether it's pre-arranged by the facility or you have it in your, um, whatever you're running your program, just make sure you familiarize yourself with it and follow the protocols. Um, when you're doing that, they give you a couple of emergency response steps. Obviously, you have to have first aid and CPR in most cases, at least minimum CPR. Um, but the basics are one, two, three, one, survey the surrounding area, two, look for signs of trouble, and three, call emergency services, so down line one, one. Um, you can initiate CPR, but only if the person is unresponsive. And yeah, you just go with your CPR. <laughs> for participants with asthma, participants should have inhaler. If not, um, breathing through their nose or pursed lips may reduce or dissipate the symptoms. So just getting them to not hyperventilate, open mouth, and just drawing in tons of air, but to control their breathing, help them control their breathing. Uh, they talk about here, just to wrap it up, occupational hazards, such as, so occupational for you, the instructor. So things that are like, could hurt you. And one of them is overtraining. So overtraining syndrome or OTS. Uh, ways to reduce, reduce the risk of OTS would be to diversify the formats you teach. So not teaching 12 spin classes, you know, teach us teach them spin but then teach some mind body and then teach some you know something else so not all so you don't overtrain um, manage your own personal intensity yes we have to give 150 percent if we want 70 percent out of our participants but once you get to teach for a while you'll start to find ways to pull back for yourself because if you're like me when I was teaching when I first started I was teaching two or three classes a day so I was burning out and being hurt and all that good stuff until I learned you know how to reduce my tension on my bike a little bit so that it's not as bad and to hop um, off the step or the bike and walk to queue and be animated that way rather than on the piece of equipment um, it does say here a group fitness instructor should replace replace their shoes every 100 hours 500 miles or three to six months of use that's pretty good um, and it does say some tactics to preserve your vocal health, projecting from the diaphragm, avoid shouting and screaming, and to rest your voice. And of course, using a microphone if that's an option. And yeah, so they talk about that. And then the last little bit is on professionalism. And it just says that uh, the group fitness instructors are required to review and understand, agree to, and follow the AFAA code of professional conduct. So I will probably make a quick episode on that, me reading the reading that out so that uh, I have it in my ear so I can know it. Uh, continue education, make sure you're getting it from credible sources. And um, those can include workshops, trainings, readings, quizzes, online courses, all from approved providers. 
Make sure you have liability insurance, so general liability insurance that protects you from ordinary negligence, as well as professional liability insurance that covers you when the participant um, has, a, has a loss. So you have, you're protecting yourself against just basic stuff, and then if something happens to a participant. And then it talks a little bit, the last, last paragraph is about social media marketing considerations. I'm just giving you some suggestions to reach out to and build a fitness community, to have a fitness message, benefit statement, or philosophy related to fitness, a mission, which is an informative statement about what you as your instructor does do or want to do, want to accomplish, a vision statement, so this would be inspirational. So the mission is informative and the vision is inspirational, kind of what you want to be in the future. And then social media etiquette, just target your demographics using appropriate platforms, keep it positive and meaningful, and follow social media campaign standards. And that is my study guide in a nutshell. Yeah, I think I'm going to do pretty good. I'm not too worried about it that way. It's just, it's been a long time <laughs> that I have uh, had to do it. And when I had my other certification, um, I've been in the process or... Uh, not in the process, but I've been basically just, you know, getting my continuing education credits every couple of years for the last 20 years, right? So this is kind of just wanted to like refresh, go through the whole thing and uh, align myself with a um, science-based um, organization like NASM. And that's why I uh, chose this. But yeah, okay, let me see if I can find that uh, AFA code of conduct and we'll be back. Okay, so I wanted to make sure that I got this uh, recorded so that I, in case they ask anything about it on the exam, um, but also it's good to just kind of read something uh, that has to do with professional conduct. And so, let's see, AFA's Code of Professional Conduct. AFA has established a code of ethics and guidelines in order to protect the public and the profession. Candidates are expected and certified professionals are required to agree to the following uh, statements below. So there's professionalism. Each certified professional must provide optimal professional service and demonstrate excellent participant care in their practice. Each certified professional must, one, abide fully by this AFA code of professional conduct and continue to abide by the applicable provisions of the testing rules of conduct. Two, conduct themselves in a manner that merits the respect of the public and other colleagues. Three, treat each colleague and participant with the utmost respect and dignity. Four, not make false or derogatory assumptions concerning the practices of colleagues and participants. Five, use appropriate professional communication in all verbal, nonverbal, and written transactions. Six, provide and maintain an environment that ensures participant safety that, at a minimum, requires that the certified professional must A, not diagnose or treat illness or injury unless for basic first aid or if the certified professional is legally licensed to do so and is working in that capacity at that time. B, hold a current cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR, and automated external defibrillator, AED certification at all times. Seven, refer the participant to the appropriate medical practitioner when, at a minimum, the certified professional A becomes aware of any change in the participant's health 
status or medication. B, becomes aware of an undiagnosed illness, injury, or risk factor. Or C, becomes aware of any unusual participant pain and or discomfort during the course of the class that warrants professional care, in which case the certified professional will immediately discontinue the class for that participant. Eight, refer the participant to other healthcare professionals when nutritional and supplemental advice is requested unless the certified professional has been specifically trained to do so or holds a credential to do so and is, an act and is acting in that capacity at the time. Nine, maintain a level of personal hygiene appropriate for a health and fitness setting. 10, wear clothing that is clean, professional, and appropriate to the work environment. 11, remaining in good standing and maintain certi current certification status by acquiring all necessary continuing education requirements. Next section, confidentiality. Each certified professional must respect the confidentiality of all participant information. In his, her professional role, the certified professional must, one, protect the participant's confidentiality in conversations, advertisement, and any other arena unless otherwise agreed upon by the participant in writing or, when necessary, due to a medical occurrence or when legally required, and two, protect the interest of the participants who are minors by law or unable to give voluntary consent by securing the legal permission of the appropriate third party or guardian. Legal and ethical, that's the next section. Each certified professional must comply with all legal requirements within the applicable jurisdiction. In his or her person, professional role, the certified professional must, one, obey all local, state, federal, and provincial laws, regulations, and provincial professional rules. Two, accept complete responsibility for his and her actions. And three, respect and uphold all existing copyright, trademark, and intellectual property right laws. AFA may revoke or otherwise take action with regard to the certification of an individual who is or has been convicted of, pled guilty to, or pled no low contendra, no contest, to a felony or misdemeanor, or has been found through legal process to have been negligent or responsible for injury or harm in performing in his or her professional capacity, or have misrepresented his or her qualifications to provide services, including opinions or advice to the public. And the last section is on business practice. And it says, each certified professional must practice with honesty, integrity, and lawfulness. In his or her professional role, the certified professional must, one, maintain adequate liability insurance, two, accurately and truthfully inform the public of services rendered and his or her qualification to render such services, three, honestly and truthfully represent all professional qualifications and affiliations. Four, advertise in a manner that is honest, dignified, and representation of services that can be delivered without the use of provocative and or sexual language and or pictures. Five, maintain accurate financial, contract, appointment, and tax records, including original receipts for a minimum of four years. And six, comply with all local, state, federal, and providence laws and employer rules regarding harassment and discrimination, including sexual harassment. So that is the AFA um, Code of Professional Conduct. And there it goes into a little bit more detail about unprofessional conduct, what not in good standing means, uh, due process, and appeals. So if you have an issue uh, you want to, and um, they want to take your certification away, 
it gives you a a uh, little bit of explanation about how you can appeal that, make exceptions, see if you're eligible for exceptions. Um, if you're trying to recertify, if there's a you need an exception, just kind of the process for that. And yeah, that's it. All right, we're set. We'll do another episode when I'm writing it at the end, I guess, and uh, see how we do. Hi, thanks for joining me on What's Your GFI, my podcast for group fitness enthusiasts. Wanted to make sure that you know that you can check me out at www.livewellwithmichelle.org. And as well, you can leave messages for these podcasts if you have questions or want to chime in your thoughts and views. Go to any platform that you listen to the podcast, click on the website link to Anchor, which will bring you to a spot where you can press video uh, voice messages. And then for sure, leave a message. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks. And I hope you enjoy. Thanks for tuning in to the episode. I'd say I hope you got some value from it, but I already know you did. So you're welcome. But seriously, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for myself or the guest featured in the episode, feel free to contact me at livewellwithmichelle.org at gmail.com or hit me up on social media and DM me there. Till next time, your friend in fitness, Michelle. Thanks for tuning in to the episode. I'd say I hope you got some value from it, but I already know you did, so you're welcome. But seriously, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for myself or the guest featured in the episode, feel free to contact me at livewellwithmichelle.org at gmail.com or hit me up on social media and DM me there. Till next time, your friend in fitness, Michelle.